0: which is i somehow get on this weird delay on zoom that you guys don't experience and then i have this weird crackle slash blowout issue i don't understand no i'm sorry jake i don't i hate it it's never really been an issue in my life until lately
1: no i no idea what accounts for that me
0: neither
2: i don't know it's like there's a conspiracy going on against us if i'm gonna be real it feels like somebody's trying to to take out the pod from inside
1: you know what it is? It's whenever we start the podcast. Uh, that's when the feds like begin tapping our um, our broadcast signal, mm-hmm. um, and that mm-hmm. is probably what accounts for the weird delay over Zoom. Definitely not anything else. I,
2: I just read something that Audacity uh, now like records your your junk and sells it to companies, and you know, like the new terms of service like lets them do whatever they want. So I might have to find a different program, but. That just kind of goes back to what Kyle's saying about the feds listening in. Now, I think I'm the only one who's using Audacity, so they're really just getting, like, a lot of lizard information, but <laughs> I don't know what they can use to do that.
0: Isn't Audacity non-supported now? Like, it's just an old software they let people use for free, right?
2: Um, I mean, it's always been free, at least as far as I know, but uh, I don't know how supported it is. It sounds like it's getting more supported by uh, private companies... <laughs> Uh, wanting data so. right and you read about this on your aunt's facebook page right that's right yes yeah <laughs> um she posts a lot uh, mostly in meme form mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. i get my news root news
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever whatever poor like feds agent is tasked with like figuring out which cult you're discussing sam <laughs> it's like like, I think they go by a code name called the Lizards. I'm not sure if that's an acronym or what. I and mean, I can't establish where exactly they're located.
0: All I know is we need to keep an eye on the public gardens, because they're going to do something big soon. <laughs> Johnson, how many clearings, or how many building
2: slots does that rabbit clearing have?
1: <laughs> well, sir, ever since there's been a ruin there, it's down to two. <laughs> um... As you can probably tell, and you you don't need us to tell you this because I'm sure you've uh, tapped your FBI friend to uh, tell you for you. Uh, this <laughs> is our episode where we discuss uh, the most maligned of root factions, and that's the Corvid conspiracy.
2: That's right. We're going to the bottom of the barrel today, <laughs> you guys.
1: Are they are they fairly maligned or unfairly maligned? This is, I think, the, the crux of the discussion.
2: Yes. Yeah. We will talk about how deserving they are of being the trash birds <laughs> uh, and hopefully find a way to succeed with them in some way.
0: As someone who lives near crows, they oh. kind of are trash birds. Oh, yeah. Well, pigeons, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I,
2: in Portland, there's a lot of crows, and in New York, there's a lot of pigeons, mm-hmm. and crows mm-hmm. are smart and crafty. Not the ones in this board game, but the actual crows are very smart and crafty, whereas I feel yeah. like pigeons might have been more in line thematically with what these birds in our board game end up doing, which is uh, like crows. just taking a bath in some like sludge water. Yeah,
1: Crows are one of the most uh, intelligent species um, on the planet. Absolutely. Uh, they, they are um, not only really good at surviving in lots of different... Um, habitats but they also learn really quickly how to use the the elements of their habitat to help them survive like dropping nuts on the the road that get run over by cars uh, so that they can eat them super smart
2: or they keep they keep picking at the straw chair i have in my on my back porch and they keep making nests with the, the straw on the chair but that chair is getting wrecked by
0: those crows Yeah, my car keeps getting hot-wired by it.
1: (laughs) You ever see a bunch of them just hanging out, and you're like, what are you up to? Yeah. What are you Hey, guys, and they just look at
0: me, and they're like, ah! (laughs) When I lived in Portland at, like, consistently, at 5.45 in the morning, there was a crow who would land on the telephone pole and just be, uh, I'd say every 18 seconds would just be like, Ah! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why and or what he got out of it, but I, I threw so many different objects at him unsuccessfully. It's hard to throw at that angle on an uptown yeah. telephone pole. If only you had a,
2: a rabbit card in your hand to just expose this crow's plot instead of having to throw mm-hmm. your shoe at mm-hmm. it, Jake. What's the plot, though, Sam? Why was he doing it? Uh, sometimes the crows, they just have to throw everything they can uh, at the game to see mm, what sticks.
0: There it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: Yep. But before we get into the guide proper, you guys, we've got some root news. <laughs> uh this uh last week we had the finals of root jam 2021 we've been talking about it a lot on this show this is the fan faction contest uh that was put on by sp shaman and the judges were slug face killer bot bot and lord of the board and we want to give a big uh congratulations to all those who organized it and an extra special congratulations to Lay Oops All Board Codex and Lajosu, the winners of Root Jam 2021. Congratulations With the upstart packaging service, the UPS, the Delivery Birds. <laughs> um, uh, it seems like uh, people were really interacting with that faction in the finals. It seemed like a really fun game. Uh, I think it's still going to be up on BotBot's Twitch for a little bit. So if you want, go ahead and check out the finals of that. It was a fun game. Is he uploading it on
0: YouTube somewhere? I don't know. I hope so. Hmm. I think that game deserves to live on. We should host it for him if he doesn't. Interesting. I'll write that down. All right. Well, we played a game, too, recently. Oh, yeah, we did play a game. Yep. It was a good one, too. It
1: was a really good one.
0: In preparation for this episode, you played a series of Crow games, but the most recent one that I played was the one with three of us and Maturin. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, for those who want to watch that
2: game, it is on Kyle's Twitch. I think it's labeled as a root digital game because you played like a digital game right before. Uh, we do have timestamps stamps for when the uh, TTS game of All Three of Us and Maternin uh, starts. Uh, but uh, if you want to check out that game, you can see Kyle and I get a little testy with each other. <laughs> James trying to play Peacekeeper. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, I will say uh, I had a two hour phone conversation with Nebuchadnezzar about the crows okay oh whoa uh, in which he like gave gave me everything he's got okay um and the uh, I think the name of his guide is like lie cheat and steal your way to victory. <laughs> Um, so I think that Kyle and I getting a little testy and and he's like, you have to lie to people like you have to do everything you can to win. (laughs) This is what Nev was telling me in this two hour phone conversation. So like the fact that things were getting a little heat with Kyle and I'm like, I think this is what it takes. Uh Like, I think (laughs) in order to try to get anywhere with this faction, you have to be able to you really have to be a, an intelligent root player and sell everybody else as a bigger threat i mean like the lizards we were going to try to avoid heat but we'll get into the guide proper i just want to let you guys know i did do a lot of research i had a two-hour phone conversation with nev and then after the game that we all played okay mm-hmm. spoiler alert i won as crows okay <laughs> nev sent me six pages of notes on the game
1: <laughs> Of like critique or or like a deep analysis. Yeah,
2: yeah, he did. It wasn't like it didn't lead with congratulations because I think he was typing it as the game was going on, so I don't think he thought. I didn't think he knew I was going to win, but he was just like, "Should have been this clearing," or like, (laughs) and he was critiquing everybody else too. He was like, "Oh, Kyle should have done this." Jake, what is he thinking? Yeah, I know. know I was. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like six pages. Good. Well. but it was yeah so it's wild so we have the the crow god nevikanez as a you know i i i've done my research here he says that he's not the best crows player that he's just the loudest crows player but i i think that he he's really on to something with his strategy here as much as one can be with the crows but before we get into it let's do a little theme overview this is taken right from the root rpg the expansion of the root rpg that includes the crows and the birds that was just officially uh released to the kickstarter backers jake in your best um rpg voice will you give us the theme overview ah
0: whispers Whispers and hushed voices speak of a group of frightening figures meeting in shadowed places to pursue dark ends. The Corvid Conspiracy are a criminal organization bent on changing the woodland from the shadows. They remember what rule was like under the Eerie dynasties and have no intention of letting it happen again. They work in secret, plotting and scheming to infiltrate clearings and gain control. Those in power are aware the conspiracy exists, but paint them as nothing more than delinquents. While it is true that they resort to criminal means to raise funds and enact plots, what they truly seek is to control the woodland, by hook or by crook, and to ensure their families are never treated poorly again. Yeah. Yeah, some weird dark break off
2: of the Erie dynasties yeah
1: some kind of splinter cousins group, it sounds from like. the south
2: yeah <laughs> yeah cousins that weren't treated well at the family reunion and they're like well we're
0: gonna be our own faction now we won't sit at the cousin table forever
1: well it's interesting actually because um corvy day actually does include both crows and jays which is kind oh. of interesting uh because the the advisors the viziers for the Erie dynasties are are big blue jays basically Right. Um, but if you look really close, they're kind of like bald eagles with blue jay crests that have been painted blue. So those are like sort of a I was weird... going to
0: say, wasn't one like kind of a vulture too? Uh,
1: well, some of the leaders are from different species. Yeah. So like the, the builders, the pileated gotcha. woodpecker, et cetera. But the, the kind of like, you know, stock soldier of the uh, eerie dynasties ostensibly is like a blue jay. Uh, that's sort of their like icon. So you're saying
0: or, there's a chance the Eerie dynasties have a hand in some of this, maybe.
1: I mean, they level. they have like family ties. I think is is maybe the implication here because crows mm. are yeah yeah also from Day. So yeah, there's there's they you know split off a few millennia ago, but they're kind of still linked in a weird way. Um, and just to get into this, I have busted out words for birds. Um, <laughs> yeah. For this episode, you're welcome, everyone. And it starts with this enlightening sentence. Crow is the bird that crows. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't
2: realize it was named after its sound like a Pokemon.
1: Yes, the noun and verb are derivative and onomatopoeic. Yeah. So uh <laughs> crow crow. Yeah, it's it literally is described as like it's just Raven. Trying... <laughs> so corvidae, so the corvid conspiracy is derived from the word corvidae. Uh, it's a form of corvus, Latin, according to Pliny, for raven. And it is cognate with the Greek kratzo, meaning to croak. So mm. there you go. It, back to its mm. earliest roots. It's an imitative l- linguistic thing.
2: That makes sense to me because, like, what was Jake's experience? We're like, we're talking about crows. Jake was like, Gah! Right. Like this bird is just about screaming an ugly thing. And I think that kind of goes into the table talk necessary to play the crows. That's you right. kind of have to squawk <laughs> a lot. I think we have to get the, the crow out of the bag here. Uh, the crows are not a very well ranked root faction. We'll kind of go into why. Uh, but let's just get get straight to the numbers here, Kyle. The tournament context for the Crows. How well have they done? What's the perception going in?
1: Yeah, they've played. Uh, I think it's 15 games uh, in in tournaments that we have data for, and they have won one.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's not wow. good. Uh, yeah. They they have a reputation of being. Um, kind of not contenders in in kind of serious tournament play reasons for which we can we'll, we'll be speculating yeah. about in a, a lot later on but just just by the numbers they they have a very low success rate uh, in tournament play <laughs> I put it here uh, it's fun to dunk on the corvids for their tournament reputation um, and it is uh, yeah. for, for the game that they did win check out the scpt patreon tournament uh, for it one game 15 yeah as the corvids Um, In tournament play, what I've written here is that they they tend to play the role of spoiler uh, Kingslayer, or at least just like helping to slow the game down by interrupting everyone else's plans and engines, which in practical terms means that they dedicate at least some of their daylight actions, they get three of them, to slowing the game down, to trying to affect the board state or people's hands or whatever, just in order to get a few more points, get another turn in which to flip some plots. The problem with the Corvids taking this tack, though, is that that type of play doesn't always result in points so much as it does just, like, you get another round to try your best. So it's it can be a bit tough for them to really gain some advantage in tournament games. But winning is not the only cool thing that the Corvids can do. Uh, there is one really neat trick... Uh, that I think everyone, if you haven't seen it, it's really worth going to check out. Game three from the Winter Tournament. This is like a mega foil of the leader in this game. It's really amazing. So seasoned root player reality shows us the eldritch power of the snare lock. (laughs) Uh, This is a very specific interaction that we will talk about when we get to the faction interactions. But suffice it to say, one player's game goes from on the precipice of victory... To, by a long shot, like by like twenty points. Yeah, to um, never gaining another point, and in fact only losing points for the rest of the game.
2: <laughs> it is one of the most shocking things I've seen in. Re- I, I I watched this game when we were talking about the birds because it's a big birds corvid interaction, and maybe this you know kind of ties into the theme of the cousins never wanting to be put down at the family reunion. But like, <laughs> wow. It is quite a fall from grace, uh, that the crows are able to do, but unfortunately, Nev was not able to pull out that win as the crows. And I could hear the pain in his voice in that conversation we had. He was like, It's like my biggest regret is not finding a way to win that game, you know, because <laughs> it just would have been a perfect bow on it, yeah. you know. But but instead it's kind of more indicative of your experience as the crows, which is you're gonna do some cool stuff, you're gonna get close. <laughs> And it's not going to happen.
0: Can we explain what the luck was? Just I know we recap. Do we recap it in the Eerie guide too? I
2: yeah, like we, we talked about it. it in the Eerie guide. Yeah. But basically, the power of a snare plot is that pieces can't be moved from or placed in the clearing. And so when it became a, a snare in the Eerie's only roost, they couldn't recruit in that clearing, which severely limits their leader options. And then you can't move from that clearing. And if that's where all your birds are... Now you can't recruit or move, which means none of your leaders. There's no battle and build leader. It means it will instantly turmoil.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like the the way to break out would be to like destroy the snare, but you just never get to that part of the decree. You can't battle. (laughs) It's so crazy. (laughs) So
2: anyway, uh, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more detail, but that's the kind of tournament context, how the crows have done. Okay. So I've got some thoughts here um about how the crows mechanics lines up with their theme okay the theme of a conspiracy of like hidden information and I think like the cats being the quote unquote dominant faction and that's not the case I think the conspiracy of the crows is not really much of a conspiracy at all okay the supposed sneaky faction has the most transparent public scoring and crafting of any faction (laughs) there's no surprises here. Okay. Uh, On top of that, there are multiple ways to stop the crows. Okay. If you don't have any cards in your hand, you can just battle away their plots. Then they can't score them. Yes. It's going to hurt a little bit more if the plot is face down, but it's something that you can plan for. And then if you don't want to waste your actions and warriors battling them, you can just gamble a card from your hand. And really, the main thing you're worried about is a bomb. You can just gamble a card. Is it a bomb? No. Okay, well, you can have a card, and I know I'm not getting blown up, you know? But maybe you really do want to remove that plot. All you have to do is gamble two more cards, and then you are certain of what the plot is. And you have wasted zero actions on your turn. So that's just one person I'm talking about. Much less if the table needs to stop the crows, then it is just a matter of, between three people do they have four suited slash bird cards that match the plot we're trying to guess
0: but to give to risk giving to the corvid player
2: yeah you have to risk a card but if it if the game's at stake i would right. rather risk yeah. a card than yeah. actions and warriors that could be ambushed and stuff like that like it is the we'll get into this what their weakness is but it's like it's kind of solvable mm. because everything's so public and uh, there's no luck required, you can stop them. And this is why the tournament
0: has uh, kind of bore that out. Isn't that kind of fair to say of other quote-unquote bottom-tier factions that they are kind of solved in some ways? Because I feel like Alliance suffers from the same issue. Because a lot of their moves are transparent as well.
2: Yeah, but you have a a secret um, thing of supporters Mm -hmm. that we don't know. We can guess... We can make good assumptions, but the crows will literally put everything down and then everyone has a turn to stop them from scoring yeah. those points, including crafting right. and flipping. And so I'm likening this conspiracy, this Corvid conspiracy, more like a flat earth conspiracy. Okay. <laughs> it's dumb. It's illogical. And but some part of you might just pity them enough to let them win a little bit now <laughs> and again. Right. <laughs> And that's what we're hoping for as the Crows, is a little bit of pity and riding under the radar just enough, right? So, let's talk about what we got, okay? We have a reach of three. We are definitely an insurgent faction. That being said, we have 15 warriors, and we will probably get them mostly out on the board, okay? This isn't 15 warriors where we're only going to use seven of them. We're going to probably use all 15, and we should be trying to. We have eight plot tokens. These things are like double-sided. They all have the same back and there's um, four different kinds of plots. There are bombs, snares, extortions, and raids, and we have uh, two of each of those plots, okay? Other abilities we have is Nimble. Like the Vagabond, the Corvids can move regardless of who rules their origin or destination clearing. You can just move wherever you want, which is completely necessary. This is like them sneaking around the board, love that. And then Embedded Agents. As a defender in battle, if the Corvids have a face-down plot token uh, in the clearing of battle, they deal an extra hit. Even defenseless. Yeah. So just a face-down thing, it's going to deal a hit. Their scoring method uh, is kind of this like exponential thing where it's like 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, right? Because they score for every... Uh, when they flip, they score for every face-up plot token. So their first one is one, their second one is two, the third one they flip is three points, right? So if you flip them all on the same turn, that's six points on one turn. So it's this kind of big, explosive, exponential thing, but like I said, it is public. And it is calculated. There's no, you know, even though the plots are face-down and it seems like we're pulling a secret, how many points you're going to score from that? It's totally easy to count. Uh, so let's talk about uh, flipping plots, gang. You can flip plots for 35 points. Assuming you get them all on the board and flip them all. Okay? Whoa, I mean, this yeah. is never going to happen, but it is that's a lot of points, right? We've talked about with the Riverfolk and the Duchy of, like, you got, like, 18 points on your board. Like, the Corvids have 35 if they, you know, if if a miracle happens, right?
1: That's um, with That's with, if they get all eight... Plots on the board face down, and then have the chance to flip them on their turn.
2: Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They'd score one, and then they'd score two, which is a total of three, and then they score three for six uh-huh, and uh-huh. four for ten. Yeah, it's
1: not quite exponential, but it is like it like scales up.
2: Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Some math person knows the term for this, but yeah. I, I forget what that is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Parabola. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah, let us know if that's right, or if Kyle just said a word. Uh, So, how we plot, okay? This is the costly part of uh, playing the Corvids. You have to remove a warrior in a clearing, um, and then you put a plot down. If you want to plot twice on the same turn, that second plot is going to cost you two warriors. Mm. And it has to be in that clearing. I think that's a given. So, that's what we're doing, right? We're laying crows out. We're taking them off the board to put plot tokens, which is tough because we need warriors there to flip the plot tokens a warrior must be present in order to flip a plot token right also we're wanting to protect our tokens right yeah so warriors are a key resource that we need to prioritize almost above everything
1: it's interesting that warriors turn into plots mm-hmm. and that the plots need to be like minded in order to be flipped yeah somehow I kind of imagine it's, like, the guy next to the plot is, like, a crow in, like, a van across the street with blacked-out windows and, like, little <laughs> satellite dish on top.
0: Yeah. Frank's flowers, it says on the <laughs> side. Yeah. It's that one crow's, like, devoting his life to That's that hers. conspiracy now, and the other crow's like, all right, I'll be your partner and set the building on fire when you're ready. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. One's like, I'm going to turn into a bomb, and the other guy goes, cool, I'm going to watch. <laughs> i watch from over here. Um, and then the Corvids, uh, I think, uh, well, I guess the Riverfolk kind of have a power that goes to other players, but one of their abilities is actually an ability for everybody else at the table, which is exposure, which we talked about. This is where you gamble a card in a matching clearing of a plot to guess it. Uh, if you're wrong, the Corvid player gets the card. If you're right, the plot is removed and you score a point and keep your card. And as we talked about, this is just the duality of it can be battled and it can be guessed makes it really easy. But it's necessary
0: though, right? Because they're so reliant on their tokens, they could turtle them in some way. And so players without the battle actions need to have a capacity to remove them. Right.
2: I I mean, that's how I feel as a lizards player. I'm like really worried about that. Mm -hmm. Gambling a card sucks, but sometimes I literally can't battle as long as it's a bomb. I'm fine or not a bomb. But I mean that's not the case with the Woodland Alliance. I can't guess a sympathy like yeah. But you have the to Woodland
0: Alliance's sympathy is defenseless. Yours always scores usually a hit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's more often than not it is defenseless. So yeah, defenseless or defended doesn't matter to the lizards. I can't battle. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting though, but Sam is like in our game. See, I think of exposure as like definitely necessary because if it wasn't there then there would be no option but in our game that we played with you that you won we took out a fair amount of your plots and none of that was done through exposure it was all battles i believe right yes and
2: i uh, through nev's guidance tried to engineer it that way
0: <laughs> oh i'm sorry that was your choice that i made yeah yeah because
2: like like i'll talk about in the strategy uh, when you don't have a lot of face-up plots, mm-hmm. exposure is really hard because right. you don't have a lot of information to guess. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, if you wanted to dedicate four cards from your hand, you can just get it. But no one wanted to do that. No, no. Who would? who would? Who would? Yeah.
0: The birds didn't have any. I was using all of mine. And yeah. uh, Mr. Marine Broker Moles over there was doing
1: just <laughs> fine, but he needed to sway. Yeah, I was doing all right. I was doing all right. It was still a tough one, though. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think... I think. Um, Certain factions find it harder to wager a card mm-hmm. uh, than others. And is that balance something you take into consideration when choosing a faction like the corvids? Like if the lizards and the moles are in the same game, would corvids be mm. like? Slightly it's a good question. Better pick just because like those two factions have a hard time like giving up cards.
2: I think Lizards is definitely one where it's like, oh, that opens the door for me a little bit, right, as the Corvid player, because they're not going to battle, and it'd be expensive for them to guess. Um, the moles, it's hard, because the moles aren't probably going to guess, but if they have a lot of battle actions, mm-hmm. so and usually they're recruiting a lot, so the moles can just kind of come in, take the losses, and just deal with the plots, Right. and because they can dig anywhere, it's like they could take out the most valuable ones, right? I think that, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that if you're choosing to play the crows, you're choosing to be an underdog, right? Yeah. So it's, I think it's a little less about the faction combination, though I will say, we'll get to faction interaction, but cats sucks. Playing against the cats is the Corvid suck because of the keep, Yeah. Um, and, we'll, and we'll talk about why uh, in a bit there's an ability called trick. I will say in all my games, I never tricked, but, uh, in Nev's, uh, ultimate game against, uh, reality in that three, uh, the game three of the winter tournament trick was a key part of it. Trick is where you can swap any two plots on the map, whether they're face up or face down. You can't swap a face up one with a face down one, but like faces, you can swap. Okay. Uh-huh. This can be cool for, um, you know, putting, an, a raid into a clearing that's like less important or putting a snare into a clearing. That's where it's going to do some damage. Right. Um, or making somebody think that you just moved a bomb into that clearing when you didn't. Right. Did you trick much in your research? Cause I find trick to be awesome. It seems awesome. You're just really hamstrung for actions, and I never sure. found it to be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I think Nev, in his six pages of notes to me, did mention a time when I should have tricked, but uh, I don't have a great read on that of when to trick, and I think it's pretty situational. It is situational, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then our last like kind of ability here is exert. We get three actions on our turn, but exert allows us to. Uh, take an extra action if we do not draw cards during evening. Now, I actually think that wording is a little iffy because I know cards like informants, which when you don't draw cards in evening allow you to take an ambush, you can take an ambush and exert. And a card like charm offensive, which lets you draw a card in evening, uh, you can use even if you mm. exert. So those are actually great cards to craft for the Crows because we're drawing cards uh, and able to exert on a turn, which is great. Love we're going to try to exert as often as we can. Yeah. We need every action we can.
1: All right. Well, uh, well Sam, so the, the main components of the Corvids are these plots. Yeah, and that's the main kind of focus of their scoring, and it's the main thing that interacts with everyone else on the board. It's kind of the subject of the most kind of heat and controversy and attention. I feel like during a game, it's like, what, what are these plots? Where are they at? So let's let's talk about them. Let's get into them a little bit. Um, there's four yeah. varieties of plot, and they uh, the four flavors are extortion, and this one says whenever it's flipped. Take a random card from each player with at least one piece in its clearing, which can be extremely powerful. Uh, and then while it's face up, uh, you draw another card in the evening. So that's there's your extra card draw right there. It's tied to this plot.
2: I would rank this as the most important plot for the Corvid Conspiracy. Um, I will say in all my research games, I should have said this earlier, I played with advanced setup. Okay. So advanced setup slightly changes the crows in that you get Uh, an extra warrior and a plot upon setup and I would recommend uh, however you play whether it's classic setup or advanced setup that probably extortion should be your first plot and you should flip it and I think that you guys are thinking Sam I thought it was about being secretive and not letting people guess your plots Uh, but extortion is very important and everybody knows it's important so every time you flip a plot that's not extortion first of all we're not getting that extra card draw which we need and everyone's going to know that so it becomes increasingly more likely that your next plot is an exposure usually people aren't going to blow your crap up turn one so you can flip that exposure and get your extra card draw. put it in a clearing far away you're set flip that ex- extortion yeah what did yeah, I say? Exposure? Exposure.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Substitute exposure for a second there. Oh, my gosh. This is and not there's kind of I hate all the words <laughs> with this faction. There's so many. Exert, extort, and... Exposure. Exposure. Yeah. God, I hate it. Yeah, it's a lot of overlapping terms for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, I think it's one of those things, too, where it, it just gets your engine online. It's a crafting piece. It's card draw. It's worth a point. And... Uh, because in advanced setup, you start with that plot already on the board, you can flip it and then just go on and do other things with you
0: also notably Mm -hmm. sam like when you did it against us a lot of your plot revealing didn't hurt anybody like you you weren't in clearings with us when you flipped exposure therefore not taking any cards from us but i think that really worked in your favor because we didn't notice you as much or at least we did when we started counting all your pieces but like (laughs) uh you wisely didn't upset anybody and a lot of the things that you did that were advantageous for you for like you know putting a base down essentially of, of options.
1: Yeah. You were not extorting like any factions. You were just extorting like whatever mom and pop shop was in that clearing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that this is an important thing you guys bring up in terms of the effect of the plot, not even being secondary. It's probably third. I think the first thing you should be looking for with the plot is its ability to give you crafting because we're going to craft with plots. I would probably focus on that if you have anything in your hand that you can craft. Let's put plots in those clearings then think about its its flip ability ability to eventually flip and give you points and then thirdly, what the plot does right, right. like it it it's not something you should focus on similar to the woodland Alliance right you don't need to revolt in a clearing that's going to do the most damage, you need to revolt in a clearing that's going to set you up the mm-hmm. best.
1: Right. It's more of a positional consideration than a like material, materialist kind of consideration. Right. Um, uh, but speaking of the function of the plots by themselves, we do have three more flavors. Yes. Um, extortion, great in the early game. Uh, l- let's talk about Raid. Raid, it's got the two kind of like crossed axes on it. It's pretty sweet. You think it's going to do something awesome. Um, But really, all it does is whenever it's removed, and that could be face up or face down, place one warrior in each clearing adjacent to the clearing from which the raid was removed. All right? Unless it was removed by exposure. Someone, like, uh, gambled a card. In which case, it just disappears and nothing happens. Uh, That plot was foiled. It was foiled. Yeah, it was prevented from happening. So raid, it's like you kind of want it to be removed in a battle uh, so that then all the other little crow agents can like, you know, explode out to the other adjacent clearings.
2: And more than that, you kind of want people to think you want it removed. (laughs) What's nice about a raid is that it has this effect that when people remove it, uh, you get a benefit. So people don't want to do that. So you can leave this one fairly undefended and keep your precious warriors doing other things. Mm, Yeah. You kind of want it face up because that's more points, but you'll take the crows if they pop it. For sure.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing that this implies, though, is that you want to put a raid in a clearing that has a lot of connections, right? That has, that's connected to a lot of other clearings. Uh, I can think of a few examples um, on each of the maps of, you know, well-connected clearings that um, would, you know, spawn more warriors when it's removed. Mm-hmm. So mostly like central or uh, do you think it's a, is, is it good to go with that intuition or is it, are you trying to abuse that intuition?
2: Yeah, we're not uh, trying to play optimally. We are not putting plots down in places where it's like easy to think of what it could be. Uh, Nev gave me the advice of like, just go with go with something that seems fun. Yeah. You know, don't think about it. You can't like be like, oh, this would be a good place for a bomb. Because then people will be like, mm-hmm. is it a bomb? You just have to be like, mm, throwing that there, you know. And uh, there is a strategy people have of. Placing plots randomly, by it's easier in tabletop simulator where you put them all in a bag, you shuffle them up, and you just put them out. You don't even know, <laughs> uh, so that people can't read the situation, which it is, is a fun I surprise. Think pretty you're fun. like,
0: "Hey, I exposed you. This is great.
2: I didn't know." It. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's pure luck at that point. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I think that's fun to do, and you should probably try it, but nev kind of encouraged me like you kind of want to do like a hybrid of being optimal and just being random where you just kind of go with your gut you're like that's going there it would be good if it was but it's not an optimal place for it to be so no one's going to think that's what it is but what's a
0: clear what's a clear piece of advice you can give for like the choice of what people should be optimal about right it's is it is it exposure or is it it's raid right raids the one you probably want to try and do a little bit more tactically bomb feels obvious in a way or like people are gonna know Uh,
2: yeah
0: Uh, yeah i mean this all comes down in my
2: tier rank of like what we want to put them crafting and we want them to stay on the board so i feel like being counterintuitive makes some sense um raids are good to have out kind of after extortion i find just because you can leave them alone um, and that's like less resources you have to devote to guarding them. One, yeah, one plot. Um, and then my third one would be snare. I've kind of got these in order of what I think are the best plots. But again, we are trying to play other people at the table, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know these can be in whatever order that you think you, your people aren't going to guess them.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about snare because I feel like snare is one that would have some kind of strategic considerations. Um, and, and some, you know, potentially really devastating implications if it hits the board. Uh, so let's talk about it. So snare is, while a snare token is face up, enemy pieces cannot be placed in or moved from its clearing, right? Yeah. So you can't recruit, uh, sawmills don't place any wood. Um, you can't move warriors out of that clearing, so they are stuck there if they move into it. Uh, so this would really gum up the works in, like, a choke point, um... I mean, what, what do you think, Sam? Is this, is this valuable for its um, board presence or like strategic value?
2: Yeah, I think this is the best effect. I mean, other than drawing the card, which is just kind of more necessary. But this is like the plot effect I think is the best one in terms of what it can do to the table. And if you are going to do one of your plots for the effect, it sh- probably should be snare if you can find a good place for it. This can be used to like section off parts of the map so that your clearings stay kind of out of reach of people. Um, Or yeah, or you can use it offensively. Now a snare is a good one to trick with, right? You flip it somewhere else and then you can trade it wherever another one of your plots are, assuming it's the same face. So um, I would be thinking about rather than flip it gotcha because that's a little easier to see. You know, they'd be like, oh man, if he put a snare in this clearing, I'd be really, I'd be really up a creek, you know? (laughs) Um, So I think it's better to flip it somewhere else and trick, because you can do that on the same turn. It still can be a surprise, but it's harder to guess that way. Right. One thing I didn't mention with raid is you can use this offensively. I didn't think about this. Nev taught me this, that like, you could have a raid face down and one crow warrior in a clearing, initiate a battle with someone with a lot of warriors... And then if they roll a two, they will take out your plot token, which will trigger the raid on your own turn. Whoa. What? Which is oh, which yeah. is kind of fun. I think it's like, it's not like what you always want to do, but it's like, I was like, oh, that is a good trick.
1: That's a fun That's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Then we, we have snare. And then the last one, of course, uh, is bomb. And it's this a is, bomb! <laughs> this is the one that everyone is scared of. Uh, That people may be willing to part with a card in their hand just for bomb insurance. You know, (laughs) use the exposure ability, just guess that it's a bomb, just so so that they are certain that, you know, it's not going to remove all their stuff in in whatever clearing. The, The problem with a bomb is once you flip it and its effect happens, then this plot gets removed. All right. So specifically, whenever a bomb token is flipped, remove all the enemy pieces in the clearing, then remove the bomb token. So... Uh, there's kind of an order of operations consideration with this plot, right?
2: Yeah, we definitely are flipping the bombs last. Mm-hmm. And the problem, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head, Kyle. The problem with the bombs is if you're flipping two bombs in the same turn, you're not getting additional points, you know, because the first one has to get removed and then you flip the second one, you score the same amount of points. Um, that's why I have it as the bottom tier plot. Uh, although it's the most powerful it's the one everyone wants to guess, and it's the one that doesn't, like, continue to ramp up your scoring in a way. Right. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I, I've am i been prioritizing bombs, like, last. Uh, though you don't want to be too guessable, right? So you can. I'll throw out a bomb, and I'm never putting it in a clearing with other people's warriors.
0: Only, hope. hopefully they move in there later, or I trick it, but... Uh, to your point about if you put two bombs, or if you reveal two bombs in a turn... And you won't get additional points for flipping both of them. While that's true, you're presumably flipping them in clearings that will blow up tokens and thus provide you points, right?
2: I mean, if, if your thing survived, if you put that bomb in a good place and it survived three people's turns of not just guessing it's a bomb for the insurance, I mean, that's the thing. I just feel like pulling off a bomb to really do damage is difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar
1: similar to a revolt, right? Like, yeah, because you'd be... The the sympathy is just sitting in a clearing with obviously a bunch of expensive tokens and warriors hanging out there. Like, someone's going to probably deal with it if it's... It's just one of those things, like, you don't want to give your opponents too much of an advantage or a potential advantage, and this is one of those times when, like, even if it costs you a card, just have the bomb insurance, just because otherwise, like, the Corvus would get a giant advantage from destroying some crucial infrastructure or whatever like Mm -hmm. you don't want to give them that opening right um but then like because this is the thing with corvids because everyone knows that that's a sensitive clearing with a face down plot in it like i mean probably it's not a bomb because that's super easy to guess or like really really obvious um sam you had a really cool play where you placed a bomb in an edge clearing where no one was around and then used false orders (laughs) to march some warriors into a clearing with a fame with a bomb and then you flipped it on the same turn and just like blew everybody up
2: yeah that felt like the most thematic corvid conspiracy move I pulled off in my training games here Um, and I think that's a fun use of false orders for sure Um, but yeah I think that's more what I'm talking about is none of my bombs were ever in a clearing with a lot of stuff because people will gamble a card for bomb insurance because they don't care if it's a snare probably yeah Um, if it's a snare they'll deal with it they'll battle it on their turn whatever but they didn't lose anything right you know so that's why bomb i think is is the worst plot so
1: you've talked a lot about the kind of like (laughs) tiers of priority uh when thinking about which plots to place and where to place them on the board and number one for you has always been crafting in this conversation and i feel like that's not a take that i hear super frequently uh, mm-hmm. So let's talk about crafting. Are the Corvets good crafters?
2: Very good, very good. Their crafting ability is high because we can we can craft with plots whether they're face up or face down. Yeah, you know, and we can get out a couple plots a turn sometimes. Their crafting happens at the very beginning of their turn, mm-hmm. which means if you have two rabbit clearings, people can be like, they might have coins. We should take out one of their rabbit plots, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of a bummer, but uh, as you mentioned, you can craft false orders and then use it on the same turn. Uh, so that's a fun surprise that not a lot of factions get to do. Yeah,
1: that's hard to stop.
2: Yeah, You could even, if you had both false orders in your hand, you could play one, use it, play another one, use it. Uh, assuming you had the crafting ability to do that. Uh, Inish,
1: It's pretty cool. And you could use that not just for the spectacular fireworks of a bomb but for the much more modest but still important extortion yeah and yeah that's true grab cards from from people's hands by crafting false orders and then moving them into that clearing with that uh with that plot yeah could be very interesting uh so uh we talked about how public our scoring is we need to get
2: all the points we can as the crows uh and so crafting items for points is going to be uh huge for our game and we're going to need to craft like six to eight points of items. That's a ton.
1: That's a good, Yeah, that's, that's otters level crafting.
2: Yeah. yeah. And everyone knows that we're going to try to do it. It's a problem. And we might not get the cards. It, it's difficult. I, in, in my first training game, I was playing with Nev and Nev was the vagabond. And he just gave me coins. He aided me the coins card when I had two rabbit plots because he was like, I kind of want coins, and Nev has a soft spot in his heart for the crows. So he gave me three points, and I still was not able to win that game. Um, with you guys, I did craft a lot, and I think that really helped. I, I I think I crafted six or seven points.
0: I didn't realize how contingent upon having those things were, like, that was to your strategy. Because when I crafted, I think, coins, you were like, well, yeah, it, <laughs> there goes my plans. I was like, who... That your plan relies upon shiny things, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point.
2: Yeah, no, you that's do more want of those shiny pie, Jake. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, words for birds over there. It's still from Corby cover.
1: Day, though. Weirdly, magpies are still in uh, Corby oh, Day. Oh, okay, okay. I apologize, Professor.
2: Um, so we talked about how our uh crafting is 100% public. Um, also, the crows can craft a lot, and sometimes you're gonna have extra cards in your hand. And so you might as well just craft all the crafted improvements you can as well. A lot of them are going to be very helpful. Um, and some of them are going to be trash, but that's okay, because we are trash birds. So we can just <laughs> deal with that.
0: <laughs> we don't
1: really spend cards
0: very
2: much, yeah, so, do we? Uh, you're going to spend one card every turn on recruit.
1: Yeah, and you want to recruit yeah. every turn if possible
0: yeah because it's so good every every matching clearing is amazing but like beyond that it's really we can craft all our other options can't we yeah yeah it's just it's just crazy that's the only thing they really spend
2: yeah on. the only thing i would say is uh, i found myself actually way more card poor than i thought uh mm-hmm. and it's because i w- tried to exert as much as i could Yes, exert. right. So I'm not drawing cards. Right. So I found myself a little card poor. Basically, what you're going to do is kind of go every other turn where you draw two cards.
0: Why?
1: Ex- why
2: were you exerting so much? Uh, because I need to. You need to plot as much as you can.
1: And some of those movements were pretty necessary just to get enough warriors in the same clearing in order to so like plot the second time in a turn. And yes. have there still be a guy there. I, I think it's kind of interesting. So the, what you've laid out for the first turn, like. In advance setup, like, put the um, extortion out as your first plot and then flip it on turn one. That means that you end your first turn, if you recruit, with four cards in your hand. That means you can kind of uh, exert on your next turn as well, and it just kind of sets you up really nicely. So, yeah, that early extortion is actually very handy uh, for the engine
2: yeah and you, you might be crafting those cards turn one too right if you have a yeah. plot turn one you can craft turn one right so you can you know get a, a or a boot or something uh, already out there so you're going to be losing one of those cards
1: right um just yeah. gives you a little I, little play a little flexibility yeah, yeah for sure um, so let's talk about the, the the uh the two decks and which cards to look out for uh Kay. in base deck um your analysis overall here, Sam, it says worse for crows, more expensive, and the improvements are worse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this is pretty standard for most factions. They prefer the Exiles and Partisans deck. There's been a couple exceptions we've talked about, but um we've got Armorers, which is a great card for the crows. Totally. That's gonna save us a battle. Um that's really good. Sappers can be fun, stacking with a face-down plot to do two hits in defense mm-hmm. just right off the bat um royal claim can happen i guess <laughs> i don't know why i actually have that I written down so. uh nev must have said that i wrote it down but i don't believe in it i mean it's a fun uh, way to
1: make like two or three extra points if you need them yeah you, know. you
2: could probably get a couple points out of it actually yeah um, and you
1: can craft it almost definitely you got four plots down
2: yeah yeah it's 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 not out of the realm because we're so good at crafting it's like possible but we're just not going to get a uh, you're not going to get eerie dynasties return on investment with (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, royal claim tax collectors uh helps you clean up extra crows right uh Mm, that's helpful Uh, better borough bank is of course good we want to draw extra cards uh code breakers could be fun where you can actually look at somebody's hand and see what they have the ability to guess yeah which which suits
1: they have in their hand right that's that's pretty dastardly
2: yeah it i mean you kind of have to figure out like all right what cards do they have what are they missing and then go to a clearing where they have warriors that matches their missing suit Mm -hmm. it's a little situational but you might as well craft it unless you need it for recruiting
1: right right also if you uh, end up needing to play the role of spoiler or Kingslayer of any kind. It's just good mm-hmm. to know before you uh, take any, like, action against another faction. Mm-hmm. Like, because you got to keep those crows on the board if you can. <laughs> yeah. And uh, losing them to an unfortunate ambush is just awful. Uh Favors
2: are definitely possible. Uh, however, it's on the table for letting that happen, because you showed you had three rabbit clearings right. or whatever it was, right. so... I feel like
1: it's the same as if uh, the cats have like a third workshop.
2: Yeah. The crafting feels similar to the cats where it's like, oh, well, next turn I get to do something cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, it seems like they must have something fun in their hand. (laughs) (laughs) Stand and deliver is great.
2: What? Stand stand and deliver. Might as well craft it. Um, This is where you take a random card from somebody else. This can be helpful
1: for recruiting. Uh Yes, I see. I see.
2: I guess I wouldn't call it great, but it works. I mean, the, taking away cards from other players limits their guessing ability, and yeah, you get right. extra cards. That is so. true.
1: That is true. I just feel like, doesn't that put a lot of heat on you?
2: Uh, I would say if you have three mouse clearings, people are going to assume you have favor of the mice and come after you, rather than stand and deliver. That's so yeah, fair point.
1: That's a fair I point. I don't.
2: I don't think it's gonna work out that well, but if it if you pull it off, it could be fun. Yeah. Let's talk about the Exiles and Partisans deck. We talked about how charm offensive and informants um are really good for uh you get to exert and still draw cards in the evening, which is yeah. really cool. Tunnels mm-hmm. is fantastic. I crafted it in all of my Crow's test <laughs> games. I got lucky. Mm, and yeah. Uh Tunnels just is so good for reinforcing clearings. Between that and Trick. Like, all of your stuff is completely fluid, how many warriors you have in clearings with certain plots and where those plots and clearings are. You can just rearrange.
1: Yeah, it takes an already highly mobile faction and then just, like, like puts that on steroids. Because you can just, like, yeah. fly anywhere with a plot. And um, it's even good for um, taking a currently well-defended plot and flying a a crow warrior to a plot that has no defenders so that you can flip it for the next turn and just making that very efficient.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so helpful. You're just teleporting crows throughout the board. Propaganda Bureau is good to craft so that no one else crafts it. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> that's a big check on you. If people are removing your warriors and placing one of their own there, that's like kind of the worst case scenario for you. Um, we talked about how false orders can be spammed twice in a turn that you craft it Uh, super fun. Uh, League of adventurous mice is going to be really helpful. Yeah. That's extra actions. And we're planning on crafting a lot of items. So that can be really good. And partisans is really good. Um, We don't need, we only need one card to recruit with. So ditching those other cards, it's not like it's going to kill our action economy. You know, it might suck if we get a, rid of a, a card we want to recruit with but uh if it's a face down plot now we're dealing two extra hits in defense right and that's the kind of like disincentivizing other players to attack us that's a great thing to do. yeah
1: it just makes you really spiky to attack yeah. it's like um the arbiter you know at turn one they've got two swords it's like no one's going to attack the arbiter at turn one like that's right <laughs> just asking for a bruising you know yeah
2: Before we get into how to win, I've actually rearranged this week's guide because I think we need to talk about the weaknesses in order to understand how to win. Uh, We've been kind of laying it on pretty thick that it's all public scoring and there are multiple ways to stop us. Um, So knowing that we are going to have to avoid heat and avoid people noticing us at all costs. We want to be in the parts of the board that nobody wants. Those are the places we're going to make our home. Okay, the so shadows. I. It's I, I actually got really excited about this faction because I did feel like oh it's actually kind of similar to the lizards in that we're like trying to avoid people at all costs.
1: Yeah, you're filling in those those areas of the board that the red factions kind of leave alone because they're not desirable because they're not you know they're like ed- weird edge clearings that are kind of hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not worth. They don't have a lot of building slots, like anything like that. Just like, yeah.
0: This is still a hard thing to accomplish because your recruit is like (laughs) everywhere, no matter what. (laughs) You have to like, let people know that you're on the board with your recruit and move through their territory. It's very noticeable.
2: Yeah, and and like you said, Jake, you kind of recruit everywhere and we want to consolidate. So even though this Mm -hmm. recruit is dope, like I get one in every Fox clearing, if the suits are like the autumn map, then my crows are nowhere near yeah,
1: they where they like need to be. Right? Optimally distanced. Actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. That's the most public thing about them to me is that their movements are. You're so much more cognizant of them because their recruit is just so uh, noisy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what did you when you say that their crafting is public? I mean, everybody's crafting is public, right? What do you? How do you differ that? So, for the example, the woodland alliance can spread sympathy to
2: a clearing and then use that sympathy to craft on their turn. So I didn't know that they had the ability to reach out and grab two more rabbit clearings to craft favor of the rabbits. Right.
1: Similarly, the duchy can construct a building in a clearing and then craft an evening after the building has been constructed.
0: Right, but because of the way the corvids do it, you usually have a turn to see it come. Everyone has a
1: full turn to identify which suits you have available in terms of crafting pieces Mm -hmm. sure before you can use them to craft any new Mm -hmm. ones that is um so we're trying to avoid heat right nev
2: said the worst thing for crows is someone with nothing better to do (laughs) right (laughs) our stuff's easy to get a point out of similar to the woodland alliance right people are just gonna be like "Mm, i I got nothing else to do i guess i'll take a point from them right that's what we want to avoid we want everyone to be busy with everything else nev says be the least important and least valuable target like kyle said we want to be spiky and we want people to be focusing on each other
1: yeah yeah the Within alliance is an easy point for an undefended token that can't really fight back but face down plots have embedded agents which deal an automatic one hit if you have partisans uh, just, just showing them in your crafted improvements area is a psychological deterrent. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. People were terrified of partisans. Well,
2: you were woodland alliance with partisans. That I was know. so scary. But I, I,
0: yeah, and that was fair because I generally didn't have a hand because I was always getting into my supporters. Mm. But it's an expensive thing to discard all your cards except for one suit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. But yeah, no, that stopped a lot of aggression towards me. Was having mass
1: partisans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what about the point scoring thing? Because part of kind of like lying low is shading your points a little bit. And I noticed in our game, Sam, that you did a really good job of staying kind of right in the kind of lower middle end of the pack throughout with your um, plot flipping. Mm-hmm. Um, is that how actively were you kind of calculating that?
2: Yeah. I mean, the Crows were winning from behind. And if we win at all, we're not going to win. But if we we want to be under the radar. We don't want to reach out to a big thing. We're going to get really greedy with putting a lot of plots down, but we are not going to score them because people get really jumpy as soon as you flip for like 10 points. Right? (laughs) Oh, you mean a third of
0: the game? Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm going to get jumpy. (laughs) And I hear you. I hear you. This is what people do. It's just
0: 10 points.
2: (laughs) They get jumpy, but that's it. 10 points, and then everything I do, again, completely public, completely stoppable,
0: right? That is what you kept repeating to us, too. I You're know. like, okay, guys, now I know I'm doing this, but, boy, it's going to really slow down next turn. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it does. I have to start the whole project all over again, right? Um, And so, yeah, so uh, you don't want to fall too far behind, um, but you
0: don't want to be first or second. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you benefited from a strong first place Eries that was like the dynasties were really heading up there and you could kind of hide in their shadows a little bit.
2: Yeah, you kind of want to prop up someone to be a leader, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So that people are focused on the leader and not focused on you. This is the only part that kind of really goes with the conspiracy is like what we have to do table talk wise to get anywhere close to winning. And that, and uh, on the Discord, I saw a really fun discussion on, on the Good Time Society Discord, Woodland War Machine Channel. I saw a great conversation about the crows are like the only faction people are like, yeah, craft the tea. Who cares if Vagabond gets it? Um, <laughs> Vagabond, it, that will just incentivize people to hit the Vagabond more. And if it gives the Vagabond what they were going to do to hit you... Um, someone else was gonna do it anyway. (laughs) So you might as well get the points for the tea. Which I found really interesting. Interesting. That's like the cardinal rule is like don't craft the tea if vagabonds in the game, but crows are like the only except like I need I'm not gonna win anyway, I'm gonna craft it for the points, and you guys are gonna have to deal with the
1: vagabond. (laughs) Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Just like feeding uh an early game contender
2: Mm
1: -hmm. is such an interesting strategic Move because everyone can be like low key, like pissed at you, but they have to actually go and deal with that faction now. <laughs> yeah, you were not low key
2: pissed at me for doing
1: that, <laughs> 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 and I think that
2: that yeah, that goes into it too. Is like they could call the bluff too, you know, they could just be like, Well, you gave the winner too many points, right? You know, and it's like, But we all lost, so and I was gross, <laughs> so there's always that thing to hide. That behind. is just the nature of this game, yeah, as well. that's true, yeah. that's true. Um, C Coyote says as Corvids you have to be greedy if getting points is going to create a problem it's someone else's problem
1: hmm. yeah I mean specifically through crafting right yeah because points yeah. points are flipping then you are you are the problem but right any, anything you do to, that gets points that helps another player um, right yeah it's interesting that you have to like kind of sort of align your moves on the board with someone else's interests at least in kind of a temporary way um Mm -hmm. how how much are you thinking about that in the early game thinking about what propping up another faction um i think
2: yeah i mean it's always dangerous in route i think to do that i think mainly you're just trying to lay low and so i'm as the crows i would not uh advise anyone to go and battle anybody maybe the vagabond to uh trigger hostile status because we are going to have crows a lot of places so that can slow down the vagabond um but we're really not trying to check anybody so we can kind of let it happen naturally i think um as long as you don't see a situation i mean i was really worried in an eerie moles game because i know that both of those factions can just do their own thing and race to the end and so like if you guys weren't going to interact i think Jake and I as the insurgent factions were screwed. You know? So yeah, I think I think more than propping up one faction, you just gotta try to, yeah, fuel the fire for the conflict, you know. Yeah,
1: try and encourage that entanglement to like keep the yes. game alive for yeah. longer. And,
2: yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, we're gonna need as long as as long as we can get. And uh Nev says that ninety percent of Crow's gameplay is reading your opponents and deciding what you need and where you can get it. And this is true. I mean, just because everything's so public, you really have to like next level think about exactly where you can go, where it will be not fun for someone else to go deal with you. And if you're in third place, even though they can see you're going to flip for a bunch of points, they're like, whatever, someone can deal with that. I don't want to waste my warriors and actions coming and fighting that plot or cards mm-hmm. from my hand, mm-hmm. you know, someone else can kind of pass the buck and we're hoping that happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, for that purpose, aren't you also... You're incentivizing fighting between the factions a lot more, though, aren't you? I mean, you say that you didn't want to encourage others to fight, but I think you... Or maybe you didn't say that. You want to encourage others to fight, right? Yes. <laughs> because you Not want their forces to, th- th- yeah, 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 to fight each other. Because you want their forces too thin to be able to deal with you. Mm-hmm. You don't want to make it a, a convenient thing, right? And this is just like a rule of root. Of course, everyone
2: wants that, right? Everyone right. wants well, the yeah. other factions to do that. I, I, it's just like more important if you're the grows yeah. player that that happens, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about it, guys. How we're gonna win? Yeah.
1: All right, let's do it. So, advanced setup. You have you start with one plot on the board. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an extortion, right? It's going to be an extortion. Nine times out of ten. Yeah, I yeah, I I think I just think
2: put it down. Like, if somebody wants to come in and like ruin your setup, it kind of is like storming the keep. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, I wasn't going to be the one who's going to get out to the lead anyway. It's really like, punching down doing? at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just fine to do the exposure um or extortion sorry it's fine to use an extortion there um and like i said every turn you don't have an extortion you're going to need the cards and it's going to become more obvious that you need an extortion so then someone when you have to put that somewhere else and maybe in a clearing that's a little bit more contested people will just guess yeah so uh because we can choose our clearing with advanced setup where that first plot goes uh we can put it far away i'm not trying to get cards from an opponent's hand Um, Maybe if I'm going first, actually, that's interesting to think about with advanced setup, because you could get that free uh, second card there. But I'm not again, we're not trying to use the plots for their powers uh, that
1: optimally. Right. Um, And are you selecting the clearing with the plot for its suit, for its crafting ability, kind of in combination with its location?
2: Yeah. I mean, ideally, I have a card in my hand I can craft like tunnels or a T or something uh if i don't have anything i'm gonna craft then i'm obviously
0: i'm not looking too far ahead with crafting positioning is more important in the early game right because you want to be in the void spaces the the spaces where the red factions aren't building up so you can as you said earlier get into all the dark corners of the forest first right yeah 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 for sure especially because tunnels isn't even really going to be beneficial for a few turns anyway right but yeah just getting it crafted is probably good
2: um But, yeah, that's true, Jake. Yeah, you're not going to use tunnels for a couple turns. In terms of guarding these plots, I'm used to the rule being three, right? You want to put three warriors to guard something. We only have 15 warriors, and we're going to really try to get greedy with how many plots we're going to put out. And so, honestly, two warriors should probably be the max and the suggested amount. I did a lot of ones because I couldn't get the warriors there. Yeah, it's still annoying. It's probably going to be two hits in defense, so people are going to have to bring three warriors in. Um, But I just don't think the difference between two and three makes as much of a difference as it does with other factions.
0: I think there's such an argument for what you did with one, though, because it was still a real effort to take them down, and that's the costly effort for the other factions who were busy doing many other important things.
1: Yeah, because the action tax is... Higher than the warrior tax, for sure. Right. And with a lightly defended plot, that just means that you have more warriors elsewhere to have more plots. So it just, like, dramatically expands the number of actions necessary to take you down. Um, Which is maybe even more important than the, like, warrior count by itself embedded agents is such a just
0: a a hurtful thing because it's so guaranteed to be an extra hit. yeah people hate it i don't know like (laughs) they shouldn't be as afraid of it as they are but i feel like people are like oh i don't want to lose another guy to a token so here's (laughs) here's a theory i have about these factions is some things are psychologically worse than they are statistically yes i think that you need to play on that especially with crows i think embedded agents is one of the perfect examples of this actually
2: yeah i think raid is another one where it's like psychologically Mm -hmm. worse unfortunately so is your scoring method (laughs) 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 because you're going to flip for a bunch of points and then people are going to go oh no it's like they can't do it two turns in a row unless they have another plot which you can stop you can stop one like we were saying the action economy is so much better i'd rather have two plots with one warrior each than one plot with three warriors right
1: but it can be hard to consolidate warriors, and that's got to be the like, early goal of the, the actions, right? Is to get enough warriors together in order to um, plot at least one time on your first turn. Are you plotting twice in your first turn? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and how much does that can. have to do with like recruiting? Because I, I think we're recruiting every turn, right? Yeah. And in most maps... Uh, the suit distribution is going to be randomized. So when you're considering where to recruit and your starting hand and all that stuff, um, what's the strategy surrounding recruit? Are you always going for the same suit?
2: I I thought that at first. I thought, like, we kind of want to spam a suit that way. But it, it usually doesn't work out that all of the clearings people don't want are all the same suit. Uh, usually it's similar to the lizards. I think you're going to have one suit. You love one suit you're going to use. And then one suit you're going to kind of not use that much. Uh, Usually in a game with the cats, that's the suit with the keep Uh, because the keeps uh, prevents one of the crows from being recruited in that clearing. So we're getting less out of every recruit in that suit. But I mean, it might be a necessary evil because the other two mouse clearings, you know, might be so good that we need to use them. a mouse recruit and lose that one warrior. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's very. That's the true puzzle of the crows: is where are you going to recruit, and how many actions is it going to take to kind of get them all into a similar place?
1: Right. So then, theoretically, turn one is like recruit in a clearing, uh, or recruit in one suit um, in one of those clearings. Because of setup, you're going to have two corvid warriors. And w- with one face-up plot, you'll also have two others. Uh, hopefully, you can move one time and then just plot twice.
2: That that is ideal. Move and plot twice, and then draw two cards. Yeah. That is ideal. That's the dream. That's the. Dream. If you if you have if your extortion flip got you a card, or you didn't craft anything, you might be able to exert to make sure you get two plots down on turn one. Yeah. Uh, if you like your n- card for recruiting for next time that that can work out too.
1: This is a question. Uh, this is going to kind of like roll us back slightly to set up. But when you're setting up with the Corvids, do you want those war? Because you have to set uh, warriors in, in one in each of the suits. Yes. And then pick one that you have two warriors in a uh, face down plot. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, do you want those bunched up or do you want them already like seeding those uh, like lurky corners? Uh, always we're
2: prioritizing things people don't want, but then I would say, yeah, we, uh, we want to clump up. We want them to be one move away from each other, and it's nice to be able to kind of like, especially if one's a snare or something, now we can kind of defend one of the paths that could come into that clearing. So yeah, I would I, I would love to have them bunched up um, like that, but again, we want to make sure that no one wants one of those clearings because we're avoiding interaction more than we're... Focusing on optimization.
1: God, it's such a good puzzle. It's such
2: a good puzzle. I love them. I didn't like the crows going into this week, and now I'm like, they might be my second favorite now. Yeah, they're, they're fun. Yeah, they are really fun. Yeah. Um. So we're obviously watching out for early battlers. Uh, if a bird player has a battle in the decree, we are like, see you later. I don't want to be that battle. Um, in our game where we had crows and uh moles and birds and woodland alliance the birds player was in a tough place that set up where i was nowhere near them and so they really relied on jake putting a sympathy out so they didn't turmoil turn one interesting which nev gave me a lot of notes about he's like of course that's a good idea but also you can't turmoil the birds because you're going to need the birds to
0: deal with the moles so that's like when he proposed to be my best friend i was like absolutely because i'm terrified of kyle (laughs) over there it's like i need to get the birds to go be aggressive yeah and it makes sense for you too as with alliance
2: because he's moving and battling he's giving you two cards for supporters yeah I, i think that made a lot of sense but um it, it was Nev kind of was like, that was risky, you know, because if they would have turmoiled immediately. Also, then he was going to choose Despot, right? Which is kind of even worse. And so I, I, I hadn't thought all the way through that decision. But anyway, <laughs> we are going to plot aggressively. Okay. Usually a root game has seven turns. So we're recruiting every turn and trying to get all our crows out there and plot as often as makes sense. Which is kind of... Two turn one, one turn two, two turn three, one or two turn four. You know, like that's that's what we're going to be trying to do. Right. Nev's uh it advised me to look at the whole board because we can recruit all over and just because we have been focusing on certain areas you want to find like forgettable pockets on the board especially like eerie is going to be like moving a big bird ball around or whatever and you can go kind of put them behind enemy lines you know eventually the board will open up to where clearings that were necessary but the you know the birds have used it and they've moved on or the cats have just had a workshop there and they don't care about it. You can kind of go behind enemy lines there. All this is to say, we are the whole focus of this is to plot aggressively and flip as few of them as possible.
1: Yeah, you want to keep the plots face down for a while, right?
2: Yes. It's going to be around turn four, maybe turn three if people are on to you. It's really a matter of feeling out the table. Because this is what happens. It's happened in all my games. This is what Nev warned me about. You put them all face down, and then somebody goes, Wait, (laughs) hold on. If they flip all their blocks, they're going to score like 15 points, you know? And that's the turn you should flip them. (laughs) You know, convince them not to do it and flip them all. Get the points while you can because they're coming after you, right? So we are gearing up for one big flip. Maybe two. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah we are doing one big flip uh i think with uh, in our game i flipped for 12 points or something like that yes and then i had another one for five later
1: in yeah we, the were, we were like pretty aggressive about pointing out how much you could score i think uh, you you pointed amount. it out but no one really dealt with it no <laughs> one really did anything but i think you're right though this faction has the tendency to turn opponents into um you know that, like, clip from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia of, like, the cork board and all the, all the yarn? It's just yeah. like, it turns your opponents into that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nev says,
2: like, everyone turns into fucking Sherlock Holmes all of a sudden, where they're like, ooh. Uh, also, if you have two of the same plots flipped, that's when people also feel like they're geniuses, you know? Because they're like, wait, it can't be a raid. I see that there's two raids.
1: Cross it off, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Off your Corvid bingo at home. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, one or two big flips. Um, What's the goal, like, victory points-wise, the resulting number of points that you end at after the flips? Like, what do you want to get to so that the end is in reach?
2: Nev says that we are engineering at all times a position where we flip to 26 points and then battle for four points got it wow okay because everything after that after you do your big flip you're probably not going to be able to flip again people aren't going to have it right it's yeah because it's a matter of everyone seeing like oh they can get to that amount of points let's make sure that doesn't happen so everything after that is going to be crafting and battling So that's why we need that big flip to get us to the end game. Like I was making this guide. It's like all early game. Then there's one turn where you flip everything and now you're an end game. (laughs) Yeah. The mid, the mid
1: game is like, it's just all set up. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah.
2: We're going to extend that early game as long as we can, because we haven't kind of talked about why we want them all to be face down, but they have embedded agents that way so it's harder to battle them away when they're face down Mm -hmm. and when your opponents have less information about what plots it could be or could not be then exposure becomes more costly right um so to me this although risky and crazy and somewhat of a gambit. I feel like it lines up the faction abilities incentives the most to do this one big flip strategy. Yeah,
1: so it's kind of like they have like a burst type of scoring mechanic. Yeah. In and not a parabola. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm. Mhm.
1: Well, he, well so the thing is though like the
0: effect of the token is useless when face down, right? right. So I mean, are we are you kind of ignoring that? by not flipping them up i mean i understand the the burst the burst tactic i i, I get your strategy but are, are you i feel like you might be neglecting one of the you know key parts of these things which is they do stuff
1: they do do yeah. stuff but they remember while while they're face down they still count as crafting pieces mm-hmm. um which is probably gonna be if you're not scoring any points from flipping for a while mm-hmm. um the way to stay kind of like level or like just behind everybody is through crafting most likely then right am i getting that right
2: yeah yeah Did i think that's the way you kind of stay competitive stay in third mm-hmm. you know that maybe a cheap battle now and again so we are engineering the situation where we're flipping to the end game and then we limp over the finish line
1: yeah all right for all, uh to 30 points <laughs> i
2: want to tell you guys a little story about the, the first game I played in this research, the game with Nev, and Marcus the Cat was in that game, and somebody else. I'm forgetting who.
1: We're going to edit in a robot voice saying the name. Yeah, the I'll, I'll look it up in a, in a second. Post. The
0: fourth player was Crewmeister.
1: I had just had a
2: conversation with Nev the day before, and so I felt really prepared going in. Nev gave me coins, right, in the game, so I was doing pretty well, and I flipped to 26 points just like nev told me to (laughs) i flipped for 17 points on a single turn the most points i've ever scored in a root turn whoa and i flipped to 26 but there was no cardboard to be had everything i think i was playing against like cats and moles (laughs) and the vagabond and so it was like oh no like (laughs) where is that cardboard going to come from and so i plotted And everyone at the table went, you're plotting? Because they can stop me. And I did make it costly. But all it took was the table using four cards because they didn't guess it correctly. They exhausted (laughs) all other options. But guess what? That didn't matter because they could do it. Uh, Somebody got the point points, and I couldn't flip. And so I went on and what I should have done was just battled against something just starting weakening people and just doing my best to try to get to cardboard, even if it didn't seem like I was going to get any of that turn because the next turns I just kept battling and all I had to get was four points and two times I went into battles. All I needed to do was not roll zero, zero. And I rolled zero, zero in both of those times. <laughs>
1: That's root for you. <laughs>
2: and I got to 29 points, and I was just like, that feels like the most indicative Crows game you can have.
0: What's but the context of where you plotted, though? Obviously, the, it was accessible to everybody.
2: It was out of the way, but when it is like, oh, if he flips that, he wins, right. people well, will do what it takes. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it and no one else like was going to win. Overall, so. that the plan worked, right? Like, you, you got to the number, and then you did the thing to get yeah. across the finish line and just like bad rolls kept you the situation. You know. Also the lack of cardboard hurt you too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Not yeah. In your control. I mean, yeah. I mean the cardboard is something I can, I knew going in to that turn, but I think my biggest mistake was trying to flip again. And that's the cautionary tale. I'm saying that there's a big flip and then every once you're, you can't flip in the end game, people will stop it.
1: Yeah. And there's just not enough actions to split the difference either. Right. You can't just like lay a threat and then also try and go and muster a big force to battle or whatever.
2: If you could plot three times on a turn, like if you could, if you had like League of Adventurous Mice and had like three items you could use all for moves and like pull off three plots to really make the action economy not worth it for all three players, maybe you could flip in the end game. But with four actions, it's probably not going to happen. Um. So that is it. That's how we try to win. We flip and we limp over the edge by trying to manipulate everyone at the table from prioritizing (laughs) you.
1: Yeah, by hook or by crook is right.
2: Yes. (laughs) One of the things we are is nimble. So we can police some of the insurgent factions if it's beneficial to us. Um, I mentioned the thing about the Vagabond. You can hit the Vagabond so that you're hostile, so he's mo- less likely to move through your clearings because it'll make it more expensive for the Vagabond. Um, also, the Woodland Alliance can be y- useful for some cheap cardboard, especially at the end of the game. Uh, for those last four points, it's really great to have the Woodland Alliance in the game. Or, yeah, that's or, how
1: or, you two of your last points were from Woodland Alliance in our game.
2: Jake. Looking sheepish. But that's the thing with the Little Alliance. They're always that for everybody's endgame.
0: You know what I mean? <sighs> it hurts so much. You work so hard, then that happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Organizing, building coalitions between the creatures of the woodland.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I purposely like Are... chose that. Well, we don't need to go into it. Go <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is what we need to do. We need to have like public games that everyone watches. And then we can do a whole podcast just like <laughs> arguing yeah. about how it went. Season two, baby season 2 <laughs> keep your eyes out. So, uh let's talk about the Cats. We talked about how the keep is really uh, inhibits our recruiting in a major way because it's one less crow we get for recruiting in that suit. Um Nev kind of points out that the Cats are going to give you the first three turns, right? The Cats are focused on themselves. They're they're ahead in the game, but we all know the Cats are kind of working from behind uh action wise so they don't want to go out of their way to move and battle you right so as long as you're not like making the cat's life a living hell with plots they should leave you alone
1: yeah or at least tolerate your presence for a couple of turns
2: yeah plotting in a workshop and like promising it's not a bomb like come on you know you can kind of Because there are no dark corners of the
0: forest when the cats are in the game, you need to go into the spaces where there's just one little cat, which that cat's going to try and consolidate anyway if they're smart. Yeah. And you know which clearings
2: the cats want with all the building slots. Don't be in those clearings. Right? (laughs) Nev was mentioning that, like, you can, if you do want to check the cats, going after their recruiters so that they don't have the card draw to expose you is kind of the way to limit the cats, but... For me personally, I'm not a big like limit the cats person. I'm more of like we need the cats to do their job.
1: It also tends to be a bit tough too to like hack through a bunch of warriors because the warriors don't leave the recruiting stations that often. So maybe just like try and identify your shot to hit the third recruiter. Yeah, um, that's that's the kneecap that's worth um, hitting with a, a a pipe wrench. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Ow. That's. that's I just not little... like a very conspiracy, like Corvid thing to do, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, kind of that... see them as like a mob faction, a little bit.
2: Yeah, no, they're they're the they're Tanya Harding's boyfriend and that that guy, <laughs> right? Got it.
1: Okay, now I get it. Now I get it. Yeah, totally.
2: Uh, all right, so the birds, the birds are weird. We're we definitely want somebody to check the birds. We need to avoid this like no turmoil situation. Um. Uh, also, usually a no, no turmoil tends to be a charismatic. I've seen it with Despot too, of course. But um, So they're looking for fights. And I mean, Despot eventually is going to be looking for fights as well. And so we're trying to avoid them. Um, we can often be the one to turmoil the birds because of nimble. Like we can get to the back line of the birds and hit that roost. Or if it's like a table thing, like somebody hits this one and I'll hit that one. Then they turmoil on recruit. That can definitely be worth it, right? Assuming the birds are the player that need to be stopped. But you have to use your root IQ to understand where the birds are in the game and if you need them to hit the other red faction or not. Uh, they uh, will outscore you. That's the case with the birds. So, you know, they do need to be checked by somebody at some point.
0: Is that That's not you, though, apparently, right? It,
2: not unless I wouldn't do it alone unless that's the only option, you know?
1: I feel like they are the number one faction to be, um, observing, uh, like w- what's their path forward going to look like and avoid that at all costs. Yes. Because if it's like, you see the need, they need to build a roost, but they need to go through like a weak, um, s- set of buildings or whatever to like get the open building slot. Like, I, well, actually maybe that's the clearing to put your warriors in so that like. They have to attack somebody else's buildings on that turn just to, like, mm. make it through. But, like, still, I, I, I just, like, observing where they're likely to go and staying away from that is probably the way forward with uh, with the Eerie. Now, you mentioned before setting up your dudes behind enemy lines. I feel like this is applying to the Eerie in the mid-game yeah, um, and to the cats in the early game.
2: Yeah, I think that make. Yeah, I think that's a good read on that, Kyle. Yeah, because there's not too many factions that like have this like movement that's like the eerie where they like kind of like start spreading out. Mm-hmm. I think once we get the warlord in there, there'll be some conversations about that as well.
1: But. Right. Uh, the one thing about the birds though is that early in the game they don't have a lot of extra cards with which yes. to expose. Yes. Uh, so you can definitely use that um, to your advantage a little bit if you want to start over by like a a despot opener. Mm-hmm. for example um they will not have too many extra cards for a couple turns um, with which to guess your plots
2: and with the birds we can always be looking for that sweet sweet snare lock <laughs> we can you know keep our eyes out for what clearing they need to recruit in and possibly plotting in there and then tricking it with a snare we already have um and then boom we got them now, they have to be the same face. So, you know, the birds have to let a plot get flipped in one of their clearings in order for this to happen, which in our bird guide, we said, don't let that happen because this is what they will do. Um, and to see, the again, the most dramatic <laughs> version of this, we will link to this game but three of But is this the... even a
1: good move? Like, I feel like in most situations, like you mentioned before, like, we kind of want the Eerie to be able to police a little bit yeah so like doing this like hamstringing them in the mid game might even allow another faction to like truly run away with the game yeah so, like, especially
2: in, in the instance of like moles like i want yeah. birds around to hit the moles yeah if I'm, it's cats I, like... I might do it because it's like oh well now we just got to deal with the cats like we can stop them maybe but
1: so perhaps if if the eerie's gonna win then maybe that's the time for this yeah. gambit. but Otherwise, yeah, it's not
2: like, like it's not like the thing you have to do when you play against a them. A lot yeah. has to
1: go right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just a convenient way to turmoil them. Everybody has the option to turmoil them in some way, or at least uh, is is aiming to, right? But you just have this soft lock yeah. option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, something you don't have to, like, you don't have to chew through all the warriors to do it. It's pretty Right, nice. you
1: can just prevent a recruit or something.
0: And it does it in the best part of their decree, which is step one.
1: That's true, yeah. that's right.
0: true. The Woodland Alliance... We're going to eat them for breakfast. This
2: is the plan, okay? That is the cardboard that we can target on the table.
1: Or for dinner if it's the end game.
2: That's true. You're right. You're right. It is more, it's like dessert, truthfully. It's like (laughs) what you have right before you almost win. And they have big burst potential, right? So, again, we're always trying to highlight how good everyone else is doing at the game. You really got to be pretty annoying, right? Squawk! You really have to just, like, let everybody know they're like, oh, they're going to burst, so you, we got to watch out for them. Yes. Also, snares are their kryptonite. If you oh, put a snare time. on that Woodland Alliance base, what they got to they gotta battle it. If you put yeah. a couple warriors there, now we got the battle of a century that the Woodland Alliance have to pull off.
1: Even a snare next to a base is awful as well. That's true. They can't yeah. move out of that clearing, and they can't organize Right? Because right. you can't place symbi- Technically, you can't organize, but it would just remove a warrior from that clearing. Would play oh, that's symbi- true.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, what, what about the Vagabond? I feel like the, the Vagabond and the Corvids would be not that interactive, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's not that bad. And like like we said, we kind of have the only pass on dealing with the Vagabond, especially if you hit them turn one, trigger hostility. You're like, I did my thing. You know, you kind of can get away with even crafting Items that the Vagabond might want. Mm. Again, this idea of propping up a leader. We already know that the Vagabond is the number one target. So having people target the Vagabond is a great idea because we all know it costs a lot to attack the Vagabond for like no point gain. So that is what you want people doing is attacking the Vagabond. The Vagabond can get stuck on a snare, which is interesting. Are you sure? That's wild. Yeah. Enemy pieces. I mean, the Vagabond will attack it. I mean, what else are they going to do? You know, Uh, but that is fun. That that can be a fun gambit. Uh, Again, you're the Crows. Just have some fun. Uh, Crossbows suck for you. When they they come in and crossbow a warrior and then they just take out the plot or they can just, yeah, it's brutal. Also, you're a cardboard faction. So once they go hostile, all those plots are two points for them. Yeah. uh, Unless they expose them. But why would a Vagabond expose them? River Folk. Oh, this one is really bad. <laughs> um, they have a trillion actions, and they will guess your plots. Uh, it's best to just avoid the river. Honestly, Whoa. these guys are the ones that they can... They have a bunch of battles they could do. Or they could just draw a bunch of cards to guess.
1: Yeah, they have the keys to unlock... A conspiracy? Your, your whole game. <laughs> just dismantle it. Yeah, they, know, they know the codes... and
2: you're not going to be buying from them we only have 15 warriors and we're going to use them all i mean you might if you can guarantee getting your crows back getting an early item is of course good but why would they do that they're just going to keep those crows (laughs) (sighs) river folks suck okay uh lizards uh usually this is a great territory to put plots in because the lizards aren't going to battle them and they they have to be pretty certain when they expose. Or they might just do bomb insurance, right? In which case, that does nerf the lizards. They're losing an action every turn to just make right. sure it's not a bomb. That That can be a pretty big deal. Unfortunately, the lizards have Convert as one of their conspiracies. Why did Root use this word <laughs> twice? I don't know. But they can Convert your Warriors, which is the lifeblood of our economy. So we don't want to piss off the lizards, but we can hang out in
0: their territory pretty safely. What are you dropping in their territory if you have to, right? Because you're, you're you're afraid of exposure, so you're not going to drop bomb because that's what they want to guess. Um, it, snare doesn't right. do
2: anything to them. So if you're looking for a a, a plot that they aren't going to care about, which is what I think I would do, I would probably put a snare in a lizard clearing. Because it's like right. you weren't gonna move anyway. Who cares? They can't recruit there, but if you do it to a place they already have like four warriors and two gardens, and it's like they're done with that clearing, they just want it to stay the same. Putting a snare there actually yeah. helps it keep it the other safe. Can't place. So um that can be like a mutually beneficial relationship.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that is very symbiotic.
2: Yeah. But obviously this convert can suck.
1: So <laughs> watch out. Uh, do we, did you already mention that the, the line of gardens is something to hide behind? Oh, uh, no,
2: no. But, uh, yeah, that is a good point, Kyle. That, you know, I, we talked about how much the lizards and the crows overlap in terms of trying to avoid everybody else. And you can kind of avoid everybody <laughs> together.
1: It's true. It's true. It, for instance, in the winter map, you know, that kind of a top row in the mm-hmm. north there. If the lizards have that, like, locked off uh, with some gardens... You're nimble. You can you can kind of get back in there and then just throw down a plot. And, because you know, the lizards need the cards to do their stuff. Like, mm-hmm. that's just a nice place to, you know, put a face down plot and just assure them that it's all good.
2: <laughs> I would not use extortion on the lizards because that's going to make them mad. Yeah. That's going to cause them to start converting your dudes.
1: Yeah, definitely play nice with, uh, with yeah. the lizards for sure. Because you're both underdogs as well. Like, you don't need to punch yeah, each right. other.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're both punching down at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, yeah.
1: real like Escher, M C Escher situation. <laughs> you're somehow both punching down at each other. It's just a hand punching another hand. <laughs> <like>. <laughs> um. All right. What about what about the Duchy? The Duchy are a, a pretty strong faction against the the Corvids, right?
2: Yeah, they both came out in the same expansion, and one of them's really good, and one of them's really bad. Um, the duchy just have a lot of actions to come and battle away your plots they probably won't want to guess but if they have enough markets down they might just guess anyway to save them the action so they can hit somebody else you got to make sure that the moles don't get out of control I mean this is just a, a, a game a, a rule of root in general is making sure the moles don't get too turtly, and you're going to have to have somebody come and bop them and it's probably not going to be you they can do this thing where they just can like kind of take out a plot per turn if they want, you know, it, it, because they have auto recruit of moles. They can just like kind of plan for embedded agents and take them out anyway. They also
0: have so many move in battle actions so quickly as they start swaying the early stuff. It's all move in battle, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, this I mean, if if you got to, if they leave it vulnerable, this would be a target to attack you know if you're going to deviate from the plan and have to check somebody moles are a great faction to do that i just doubt that you're going to be in the position to do that you know i doubt that the crows are going to have more crows in a clearing than moles will have moles in a clearing that are defending those buildings probably sure
0: it's nice to have a false orders and a bomb though wouldn't you say
2: yeah, that was fun. That was fun, <laughs> and you did the same thing. We, I, and then you used false orders that very next turn to get yeah. a supporter.
0: Yeah, so I that put sympathy in a clearing and like... then made Kyle's moles march there after they'd already been destroyed by you. That was a brutal double false
1: order. Disgusting. Turn. And I
2: think I might have flipped an extortion that turn, too, on Kyle. That was, like, the one turn we checked him by not letting him sway a lord.
0: Yeah. What's so fascinating about what happened there is that we were trying to hamstring Kyle. And though we did a lot of really interesting things to Kyle's pieces, we didn't really slow down his momentum. And it was kind of shocking to me. Like, Kyle also, I thought, played that game. Pretty perfectly. Like I don't know what else he could have done differently, except maybe some moves, and battles at the very end. But like, it was crazy how how entrenched they can be. And I don't know what the Corvids are supposed to do against them besides talk a big game to the other two players. Like that is their only option. I feel.
1: Yeah. yeah. Attack them in the press. I feel like that's the only <laughs> yeah. like way to undermine the, the Duchy in a real way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the duchy's gonna be scary to everyone at the table, and it's the Corbid's job to like. Undersell their own threat mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. and I think that Sam did a great job of of doing exactly this. And I kind of played right into it of like being scary and turtly and you know, not being as um, proactive about dealing with the plots. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that the main thing to to think about with the morals is like how willing are they to spend a card exposing. Like, they're much more likely to use military actions to deal with that. Yeah. So that's maybe another point to the good for saving those plots, uh, keeping them face down for as long as possible. Yeah.
2: And maybe if if your plots are within, well, I was going to say within reach of the moles, but they can always dig. Yeah. This might just be a position where you need, like, two warriors there more than you need one.
1: Yeah. And, And just being sensitive about, like, which edge clearings or, like, which shady spots you decide to set up camp in. Because uh, if it has two building slots, like, maybe that's looking like a nice target for the moles to set up a new area with buildings. Yep. Uh, you gotta that's just be able to a, read the point. other factions at the table. Ah, uh, the Corvids are such a high IQ um, faction, and you just have to mitigate so much in terms of, like, their scoring in order to, like, win with them. It's it's very challenging. You gotta yeah. really put yourself in everyone else's shoes. Yeah, to, I, to yeah,
2: it's weird. Nev kept saying these things like, as crows, you have to do this. And I just kind of felt like, well, that's what you have to do in Root. And I think the point is, like, you just have to play Root harder <laughs> to win as the crows. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about some maps. Right. Um, this isn't going to blow anyone's mind, um, but the autumn map is bad for recruiting, but great for setup because you yeah. can put all your crows right next to each other, guaranteed. which is nice, but recruiting in the future will be not clumped up. However, everything is pretty connected, Mm -hmm. and um, there are a couple clearings that you're going to want to go for, Uh, that northern clearing that Kyle calls Canada and that southern clearing that Kyle calls Cancun. Each of these just have two paths, Uh, and these are the clearings we're definitely going to want to go for. Any of the ones where people are just not focusing on, that's what we want.
1: Uh, notably the river interacts with five clearings on the autumn map. So Ugh. when the river folk are in a game with you on auto map, it's going to be pretty challenging. Yeah. That's going to be river. a rough
2: game. Um, winter map is probably the best in my opinion. Um, just, I mean, I like the winter map for everybody, but uh, crows need the isolation. And with those snares, they can actually make a couple other places more isolated yeah. uh, than originally mapped out. Uh, so that you can kind of use that to your advantage uh, and hiding in the pockets, the Northern strip we've always talked about is great for the insurgent factions. Yeah. Unless you're the Woodland alliance, I guess they kind like
1: of that. similar with the lake map as well. You can kind of identify those choke points and make some good use of them. Um, also, there's usually a lot of little like uh, places to tuck plots away that are not going to be heavily focused on. I think in Lake Map, it seems like most factions want to just, like, kind of get into the other bubbles, like, into the other areas. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. the margins of those kind of borderlands where uh, the Corvids would would do a bit well. Um, Also, going behind enemy lines is going to be a factor on the Lake Map. Um, But also realize that with the Ferry or with the Riverfolk in play, that almost everything on the Lake Map is super connected, if you take that into account. So yeah. it can be really easy to get checked.
2: <laughs> yeah, Using the fairy, I'm just kind of thinking about this now, is a great thing to do, right? Yeah. If you can move with the fairy to consolidate your guys, then you can exert no problem because you've drawn a card that turn.
1: Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be a good first turn move, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. Uh, again, though, uh, we all know that the coastal clearings are kind of um, hot, heat central. So... Uh, yeah your game is going to depend uh, so much of the Corvids game is a l- dependent on the other players at the table, which is so fun for a root faction. It's been really hard to describe exactly what you're going to need to do to win a, because they're bad, but B because they're situational <laughs> and so meta
1: dependent. Right. So what about the mountain map? I feel like the mountain map has a bunch of little extra points everywhere with the the covered paths and the uh, central clearing with the pass um, that I mean wouldn't that just help kind of eke out the win if you hit 26 points
2: yes yeah I mean if you if you have extra cards like a card you're not going to craft or not going to recruit with great now you can use it for a point for paths which is great um, and then yeah the path or the pass uh, can be good for getting that you know a couple extra points every turn but we're not gonna if somebody wants the pass let them have it if nobody wants it you, you can you might be able to squeak out a couple points
1: yeah, and just good map in general for uh, trying to k- keep your points shaded while flipping as little as possible because mm-hmm. you can kind of hang in there with just crafting and like path points. Yeah, uh, to you know stay in the like lower portion of the pack. Yeah, but overall, I think Mountain might be the best Corvid's map. Uh,
2: not according to Nev, but <laughs> I kind of think it's pretty good. I definitely think it's up there. It, it, to me, what I like about it too is the factions that care about building slots. Already have them in their corners. Mm. They get two. So, like, it's, and there's one extra building slot on the mountain map. It's a little, it's nice because I think that there's a little less competitiveness about certain clearings and building slots. But what we ran into when we were playing on the mountain map is like, I, it was almost hard to get people to interact because everybody was kind of set up in their
0: areas. Mm. Not wanting to. Was that a symptom of the mountain map or just like the situation of how that developed?
2: I think it actually was more to do with the fact that it was moles and birds birds Mm -hmm. rather than having one of them be cats or something. Because they were moles and birds can kind of just leave each other alone and see who's going to win the race.
0: Neither of them is in a hurry to run off too far. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. And that's our, uh, that's our Corvis guides. Uh, Sam, Woo! thanks for, for putting this whole thing together. Who, uh, who should we thank for the information and uh, dedication?
2: Well, first, um, you know, I've, we've given a lot of shouts to Nevekaneza, but this week Nevekaneza shouted at me. And so we <laughs> owe him mostly, uh all the credit for this uh, he's the person i talked to for two hours and he played a game with me and gave me coins he really like held my hand through this whole process so shouts to nevikanez of course Thanks, uh other people we got to thank uh and if you want to contribute to the episodes please join the good time society discord under the woodland war machine channel we always send out an alert uh, to ask for advice on these episodes and i want to thank garrick samples justin k marcus the couch crewmeister squid mark nitro rev fletch bot bot fugless Sea coyote fantastic mr trickster paul m and Oreso. thank you guys so much
1: thank you and we should take a second to uh just celebrate that we've reached the end of the faction guides for the Currently uh, released expansions.
2: We did it! Wow! We did it!
1: We can. We're free. We're free.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, Sam, come back! Oh uh, no, I'm running. <laughs> uh,
1: but this has been such a treat, uh, just embarking on this adventure, and uh, to all of you out there in the world, like listening to this podcast, um, if you enjoyed this content and want more of it, uh, one of the best things you can do is head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, that helps other listeners find our podcast, and uh, helps to get everybody more interested in the world of Root that we all love so much. So keep the conversation going over at the Good Time Society Discord, you guys. Let's—it's time to celebrate the only way that we know how. <laughs>
2: this is what I cel- i celebrate like this all the time. You should have seen me on Fourth of July.
1: Yeah, I can't remember how Happy Birthday goes anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think it goes a little something like...